0: TBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Glad to have you all with us today for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We've got a special uh, topic today that... Uh, I know that Kevin Riley, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who joins me on Tuesdays, and I have both been looking forward to for a long time. Before we get to it, though, a couple of quick announcements. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout out to the Daily Tribune News of Cartersville, which uh, this morning published just a terrific article about our uh, trip up that way on June 3rd. We're going to be doing a remote out of the Grand Theater in downtown Cartersville, uh, 7 o'clock that evening, Monday, June 3rd, we'll record a political rewind that'll air the next day. But what's most important about it is that this is going to be a town meeting. Your opportunity to share with us your thoughts about things like the abortion Bill. Things like what you want to see happen with Medicaid expansion in this state. How are you feeling about the reelection campaign of Donald Trump coming up pretty soon? How's Brian Kemp doing as governor? We want to hear your thoughts on those and many other issues. So I hope you'll come up there Monday, June 3rd, 7 p.m., Grand Theater in Cartersville. And I, I got a note from somebody in Rome the other day saying, well, gee, we'd like to be able to participate in the show, too. Well, you're not that far down the road in Rome. You can drive over and join us at the Grand Theater. Just go to the Political Rewind uh, um, (laughs) website, politicalrewind.org. There's a link there where you can sign up to get a free ticket. We ask you to do that just to make sure that we have enough seats for everybody. And I'll talk about it a few more times before then. I also want to do a quick shout-out to... um, we have our new batch of interns in for the summer. Carly Browder from Georgia State is uh, there in the control room giving a wave back over into the studio. And uh, Ivan Lichtenstein from Georgia State, who has just graduated, is with us uh, as well today. So thank you two for being here. We've got yet another intern who we'll introduce you to later in the week when he comes on in. All right, all that said, let's get down to our show today. If you heard the introduction, You heard me say that we're talking today about Grady Hospital specifically, but also Grady Hospital as the largest public uh, nonprofit health uh, facility in the state, one of the biggest in the country, and how they're dealing with issues of insurance, of Medicare, Medicaid, And actually, how that relates to the whole healthcare ecosystem in the state of Georgia, as I said, Kevin Riley is here with us today. Kevin, you basically produced this show. You brought everybody together.
2: Well, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, you know, the folks we have here from Grady are we went right, right to the top. So why uh, don't you go ahead and introduce you? No, no, you better handle that. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, John Halpert, the CEO of Grady Hospital. You've
1: been there about seven plus years. Is that seven and a half
3: years?
2: I want to, if I can find
1: it here, and I apologize for going through my notes, you were named just recently, I think this is within the last month or so, right? Correct. The CEO Forum, which I assume is part of Forbes magazine, correct, selected the Grady Health System as one, it uh, so selected you as one of the top 10 CEOs transforming healthcare in America. Here's what they said, uh, Grady Health System. Uh, for its ex- as an exclusive winner in the category of urban hospitals. Already one of the nation's top trauma and stroke centers, Grady is transforming how it delivers care to vulnerable populations while continuing to excel in clinical innovations with unprecedented philanthropic support. We can talk a little about that during the show. Grady demonstrates what safety net providers can achieve when a community comes together. You're quoted as saying, Grady has differentiated itself among safety nets We've created some marquee clinical services of excellence in stroke, neuroscience care, burn care, trauma care, cardiac care, and more. And a lot of that helps you uh, ground your the work you do in the indigent community. It gives you the resources to do more, fair absolutely. enough?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. All right,
1: and we'll talk about all that in a few minutes. And next to you is Matthew Hicks. Uh, You're the senior vice president for policy. Have I got that title correct? That's correct. All right. Thank you for being here And we're joined by uh, the AJC's uh, health reporter Ariel Hart who we read frequently talking about health issues. Hi Ariel. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Sure. All right Uh, Let me start and then you all jump in Um, Before we talk specifically about Grady John can you give us a sense of the landscape of where we stand in Georgia in relation
3: particularly to the needs of underserved communities? Um, I'd be glad to. Um, as you're well aware, many many states across the country have, have seized the opportunity to either fully expand their Medicaid programs and or utilize uh, Medicaid waiver programs to secure additional federal funding to help provide care for the uninsured. Um, We have not yet done that in Georgia, but we took a giant step forward in this last legislative session. The governor led the effort um, and really really pushed forward getting the permission for the Department of Community Health to go down that road. Um, And and so, as such, we have been behind the curve. There are public health issues um, that come about because we have so many uninsured patients and because they don't have proper access to care, we see a higher incidence of chronic disease with diabetes, congestive heart failure, hypertension, um, both a byproduct of being uninsured and also a byproduct of kind of the southern health epidemic. So what food. does that mean to you,
1: the southern health epidemic?
3: Well, to me, it's the southeast United States. Yeah. Several states in the southeast United States have higher, much higher than normal incidence of diabetes. Yeah. Um, Georgia has a high level of maternal mortality, mm-hmm. um, infant mortality. And so some of those key indicators of health status that you look for when you're looking at either a, a national or a local level, we have room for improvement. Yeah. Uh,
1: real quick, and then I want to open it up uh, to everybody, but um, the one of the biggest stories, of course, in health news in Georgia for a number of years now has been uh, the, uh, the loss of rural hospitals uh, across broad sections of rural parts of the state. And at this point, although I know that the waivers could be coming, there's really nothing stopping uh, that continued erosion of rural health care, is there?
3: Um, There's still considerable concern. The the state uh, maintains a list of hospitals on a watch list, rural hospitals, that could potentially um, not survive. Uh, There was action taken, of course, with the tax credit program that has benefited a number of rural hospitals. Folks in those communities have taken advantage of those tax credits, Um, and I've heard of several where that's made a difference. Personally, I feel that the, the biggest game changer would be if those communities that treat a high number of uninsured patients were able to take advantage of a statewide waiver program.
2: John, while we're on the rural hospital issue, and I know we're going to really spend a lot more time on, on the specifics of Grady and what happens in, in a place like Metro Atlanta, just for, for people who are listening, explain why it happens. I mean, when a rural hospital goes under, what is it that, that goes on?
3: Well, when a rural hospital goes under, the n- number one impact is employment in that community. Most often, they are the number one or number two employer in the community. Um, depending on how large of an organization and the breadth of service, then the the travel distance for those citizens to receive that care could be significant. Um, I think in Georgia, and Matt can chime in on this, because Um, We are fairly populated. Um, It's not the same as if we were in Montana and people would have to travel 300 miles to the next hospital. But it can become a big inconvenience or even a concern about
4: access to life-saving care or the next care point. Matt, you want to weigh in? Uh, One of the things that is exciting that the state has done around the rural hospital situation is – it created a Rural Hospital Stabilization Committee, and for the last three years, the legislature has appropriated $3 million for a grant program to help uh, rural hospitals do innovative projects uh, to, to look at how can they transform care and maintain a market share or, or differentiate themselves and improve the quality of care that they've they've done. So that's interesting because, Ariel,
1: when, when I hear, you know, as an outsider to, to, to this world, when I hear about the incentives for, uh, 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 you know, tax credits and that sort of thing, um, I hear a different story about how effective it's been, it, these, pro- these con- programs have been in keeping rural uh, door, hospital doors open.
0: I mean, it depends on how you look at it. So if you've got a hospital that's got three days cash on hand and they get a grant from the tax credit fund, you know, that's a game changer for the moment. Sure. And they're grateful for it. And all of the people in there um, that they serve are grateful for it. On the other hand, You know, we're in flush times. Is that fund going to be the same when we have our next recession? It's not a constant stream of money. It's also not big enough to serve all the people that need to be served. And you look at the type of care that rural hospitals give right now, and um, it's also very kind of, you know, parachuting in for the big momentary problem. It's not treating the kinds of long-term issues that Mr. Hopper was talking about.
1: Yeah, um so, Kevin, um, why don't we? You want to zero in more on Grady itself, and we can talk about some of these broader issues through Grady. One of these I'm interested in, Kevin, is that when when Governor Kemp proposed his Patients First Act, we know already, and we've talked about it many times on this show, that Republican governors, starting with Nathan Deal, had no interest in expanding uh, Medicaid through the Affordable Care Act, believing that in the long run. The state could very easily have to, they believed, pick up the burden of insuring all of these people, even as other states went ahead with it. So when Governor Kemp said that he would be interested, as he did out on the campaign trail, in the possibility of waivers, a limited expansion of Medicaid, I was interested in the fact that John Halpert was one of the people who jumped up and said, Good for him. I would have expected the CEO of Grady to say, "I want a full-throated expansion of Medicaid."
2: Right. Well, <laughs> no, no, I, I think we're going to get John. I know that I know that he uh, he's a wise man, and he'll be careful about <laughs> us dragging him into difficult political discussion. But well,
1: that's not political. But, but right,
2: John. I mean, part of it was, uh, I think. I mean, having talked to you in the past, was leaders of hospital systems, particularly a hospital system like Grady, which is the the large. Public hospital just sort of wanted to know if you could tell political leaders could tell you what rules they wanted you to play by. You could go figure something out, right? I mean,
3: yeah. Well, that's a big part of it, and and you know, you the political reality is a big part of any discussion al- along whether it's a full blown Medicaid expansion or a waiver program, and and there's really two prongs to that, um, from our opinion. Um, a waiver program can accomplish significant reforms in the way care is delivered and help reduce the cost of care. When the Affordable Care Act was first introduced it was really intended to be step one of several. Uh, But with the change in administration the following steps didn't occur and so the first step of the Affordable Care Act was to get people access through the use of the existing Medicaid programs. Step two would have been than the federal government helping drive, with the state governments, improvements in outcomes for patients, improvements in quality of care, and reducing cost. And Matt and I, since we've been working together, have been of a like mind that we really want to focus Grady, in this this case, on how we can better care for the patients we serve by maintaining or improving health catching chronic disease earlier, while at the same time, by doing so, reducing their overall cost of care. And so, yeah, we caught a little flack here and there because we didn't charge the hill and say we, we think um, full-blown expansion is it or nothing else? Because nothing else, what 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 waivers will produce is going to be a whole lot better than yeah, nothing else.
1: Yeah, look, mm-hmm. I was I was being I was had my tongue in my cheek a little on that, <laughs> but because of course it, you were not alone. You had uh, you had many other nonprofit health leaders who also stepped up and applauded the governor for at least taking this first step. Mm-hmm. So so I don't sure. want to. Uh, I don't want to mislead our listeners. This is the beginning of something, but it is interesting. I uh, went back, I found an article uh, from 2013 when uh, the Affordable Care Act was first uh, going into effect. And you say in that piece, this week marks the most historic moment for our health care systems since Congress passed Medicaid, Medicare, In the Social Security Amendments of 1965, you go on to talk about consumers can now shop in open markets. But you also make the point in this uh, piece, which was in Atlanta Magazine, that um, when Georgia did not expand Medicaid under ACA, it meant that some of the money that you were receiving – was now going to go, federal money, now going to go to other states which did do the full expansion. Is that still an issue? Has that
3: been tinkered with, changed in any way? Um, You know, so much changed after the Supreme Court decision around mandatory expansion versus not. And so it really became from the um, ACA dollars that were available. Those remained available to each state. What we were concerned about at that time was the number of Medicaid supplemental payment programs that we do benefit from, and would those funds begin to decline. Actually the ACA built in a timeline for that to happen. Fortunately we've been effective at the federal level with getting those cuts delayed. Um, And so that, that looms on the horizon for Grady that that could happen. What it, would
2: be an example of the kind of program? Because some of that has to do with, like, children and their health care. Right? Well,
3: exactly. So for us, the biggest one is the Medicaid Disproportionate Share Program, yeah. which, which provides additional payment to hospitals that provide high levels of Medicaid and unfunded care. And if you take all of the components of that, and I'll look at Matt here, but I, if you take every component of that program, that's about $130 million a year to Grady. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and and if that were to begin declining over time it would be a serious
4: problem yeah it's a it's a net of it's actually about a net of 80 million a year um to us but the state of georgia receives 441 million dollars in this disproportionate share hospital funding it goes to over 100 hospitals to support the care that they provide to the uninsured uh, predominantly and it's scheduled beginning this year starting in october to be cut uh, by 35%. And um, and then next year, by 70% of those funds will disappear.
1: And Ariel, that was already a political football a year or so ago. Yeah, exactly. When exactly. When the federal government, when the Trump administration, Congress couldn't come right, to terms
0: yeah. and, on and, the budget. And in fact, I was talking to these guys, and the numbers has been shifting around at that time. It was $150 million a year. I think too grady, right, that um, that y'all were concerned about. Um, but uh, all all of these All of these programs, just in general, um, are in tough shape when we're running such massive federal deficits, and then you run into the kind of inability at the congressional level to manage their way out of a paper bag, and hospitals all the way from a big place like Grady down to a little federally qualified health care clinic in rural Georgia are wondering where the next paycheck is going to come from.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Grady's uh, burden in terms of disproportionate share. I think I'm correct, Matt. You're the numbers guy. You're, Matt, if you're not watching us on Facebook Live, you should see that Matt is sitting here, as any policy guy should, with a, a legal pad and a pen, and he's putting numbers down. <laughs> and <laughs> So, Matt, I'll ask you this question. 30%. Of your patients
4: are essentially indigent. Is that correct? That, that's right. Thirty uh, percent are uninsured. Uninsured. I'm well, sorry. Well, so
2: let's let's, add, let's take that a little further. I mean, it, it, you are in some ways uh, typical, in some ways not typical of the big public safety net hospital in a community of this size. Is thirty percent typical of you
4: of peer hospitals around the country? Are you higher, lower? Is Atlanta unique in any way? If you just look at Georgia hospitals, we're three times. More than the next hospital. Wow, um, in terms of uninsured,
2: and and part of that's who you are, where you are, what you do, that's and then uh, obviously the the volume of people in in metro Atlanta. Right.
4: That's right. Yep. It, and it's our mission. Our mission uh, when we were created was to serve the underserved um, in Atlanta in the metro area, and. And that's what we've grown to do. Th- those numbers have changed over the last seven years, and I think this is part of the a success story. Um, back in 2011, that figure was closer to 42 percent um, uninsured, and we've done a number of, of things to help our patients uh, achieve coverage if they were eligible for coverage. Um, but but 30 percent is is our going rate. When
2: you say help patients achieve coverage, I think I know what you mean, but w- explain that a little bit.
4: So if they if if a patient showed up at Grady and is eligible for any other program, whether it's Medicaid, um, perhaps it's it's veterans' benefits, it's uh, some type of other coverage, we'll work with that patient to help them apply for that those benefits and and receive them.
1: So John, I want to I, I saw you in a video uh, when I was researching Grady, uh, point out to a group of, I think, business uh, folks that when people people who are uninsured, and need help at Grady, they come into the hospital and immediately go to the most expensive place in the hospital to get care, by which you're talking about the emergency room, right? That's right. Talk about that.
3: So, I mean, that's a national phenomenon in this country that those who don't have access to care will primarily seek care in emergency rooms, which is the most expensive location in which to do so. And at some point today, we can talk about what we've been doing about that. But when you're able to better manage people's care and surround them with proper care tools and care management, you help educate them about the proper way to access the health care system and, and help them access primary care medical homes and the right type of primary care and move away from using the emergency room. Why is the emergency room so expensive? Well, the emergency room is so expensive because of all of the fixed costs you have to have available to serve whatever is going to come through the door. And you think about Grady being a level one trauma center, Mm -hmm. the fixed cost around having available trauma surgeons, anesthesiologists, neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and everything that goes with that full-time OR teams, the fixed cost of having that on standby, in-house, 24 hours a day adds up.
2: Right. I mean, I, let me let me try to put that in, in terms and see if I'm right for regular people. I've had a chance to spend some time with folks who work there so grady has this job of being a level one trauma center in one of the biggest cities in the country which means that no matter how horrible the accident the the terrible thing that might happen on the connector or anything like that they're coming to grady because that's you are going to have the very best people to treat people in a a horrible situation meanwhile you also have this mission of treating underserved population. So it's an unusual combination where you have to have the best of the best, equipment and surgeons and everybody else, which costs the most money, and then you have to treat the people who are least equipped to pay for it.
3: That's exactly right. right. From one end to the other, from, a, from very low acuity to the highest possible acuity, and that, could all be, that is usually all occurring at the same time. Right. I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. When we come back, we should talk about
1: some of the innovative ways that you at Grady are addressing uh, the needs of the uh, people who come to you who don't have insurance. And, as I said in the very opening of the show, how you may serve as the model for the waiver that the Kemp administration uh, will probably be pursuing with the federal government. We'll do all that and more when we get back on Political Rewind after this.
4: Hey, this is David Green, host of Morning Edition. I'm here to talk with you about that poking feeling, the one that keeps reminding you to support public radio. You can support the programs you love by donating your used vehicle. That old car or truck could be worth hundreds of dollars
2: to this station. All you have to do is call, and you might even receive a tax deduction. Go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR and thanks.
0: Presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg went to Harvard and Oxford, but he says the most important item on his resume is where he grew up, South Bend, Indiana.
2: I didn't even know that it was unusual to have empty factories and empty houses all around you. Then I moved out and realized that that was kind of a defining feature of my part of the country.
4: I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Democrat Pete Buttigieg makes his case. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
2: 4
1: till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind talking about Grady Hospital. And, um, you know, I was thinking, John Halpert, CEO of Grady, uh, just a tiny bit of history. Grady was founded in 1892. It was the idea of a predecessor of Kevin Riley's. <laughs> That's right. Henry <laughs> Grady, the Atlantic Constitution's great journalistic leader in those days
2: it's true it's true that name is as big a name in georgia as you as you could possibly have yeah absolutely yeah um and
1: and you're funded primarily i mean you get federal funds we know that but it is the counties of fulton and DeKalb. matt again
4: you're the guy what what percentage of your budget comes from the two counties so about seven percent of our overall budget that's it it's from the two counties but it's um it's $55 Fifty-five million dollars combined. It's forty-two and a half million from Fulton and about thirteen million from DeKalb, um, and and without their support, Grady uh, would be operating in the red. Uh, we have to have the county support to to fund that thirty percent uninsured uh, population. So but that th- doesn't mean only people from Fulton and DeKalb can use the hospital, right? I mean, that's right. We see Georgians from every single county in the state each year, and and it's it's part of the breadth of the services that Grady provides. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, Grady operates the Georgia Poison Center. So if you call Georgia Poison Control, you're actually calling an office at Grady and working with uh, the toxicologists that we have on staff.
1: Ariel, off and on over the years, there's been an effort to get the state to pick up a Some of the burden of funding Grady Hospital—it's not a popular measure down at the Capitol. Never has been. It feels to me like it's kind of evaporated. That isn't even talked much about anymore, is it?
0: There's not a lot of conversation (laughs) about that these days. You know, I think it's it's a little bit like um, Marta—that it's a it's a service that helps the entire state. by, you know, making sure that we're a a state that can attract business and that takes care of its own But it's also located where it's located and um, Everybody's got their own problems.
1: You know, okay, so uh, When I think about Grady of say 15 years ago 20 years ago and more recently really I, I Said at the very start of the show there were a lot of problems um there was you were having trouble governments were being more and more difficult in terms of wanting to give you money to operate right your budget was you were straining at the seams you were dealing with more and more uninsured patients the reputation of the hospital was not very good maybe for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. but it used to be people would say you know if you want if you got a gunshot wound go to Grady otherwise don't and john a remarkable thing happened. It's probably one of the most important civic accomplishments I think we can point to in in, in a recent Atlanta history. A number of strong business leaders, Pete Carell, I think, being the head of that entire uh, effort, came together and said, we cannot allow Grady Hospital to fail. And that began this public private partnership that has served you well to this day, yes?
3: Yes, absolutely. I think the the most important thing that happened to Grady is that someone like Pete Correll stood up and said, We can't lose this important public asset. This is way too important to the, the city of Atlanta and the region. And he actually dived into the middle of it and took a deep look and said with some of his buddies and said, We've got to take this on. It's way too important. And that, you know, as you know and you all know around this table, began a pretty intense year-long process of negotiating the privatization of Grady from a, a public publicly run hospital to a private, and as Pete oftentimes says, they got a hold of it, but they weren't 100 percent sure what the problem was, <laughs> yeah. right? And so then began then began the diagnostic of figuring out why it wasn't functioning the way it needed to.
1: Ariel, was that a? I, I mean, I saw it as a remarkable transformation, but I was not a reporter as you were watching it closely.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. And the AJC did a lot of work at that time, um, looking at the situation of Grady and the battle to take it over. It was a battle, it wasn't easy. Um, And there were arguments on both sides. I think there was a lot of fear on the part of local leaders in Fulton and DeKalb that it would not continue to serve its mission after it's taken over. Also, you know, we have to remember it's not a private hospital. It's still run under a public authority. Um, But my understanding is that some of the people who are the most concerned are now um, on board and helping you and on your board.
3: John, you're nodding. Oh, absolutely. I, I... I was sitting here thinking I spent last Friday night at an event celebrating the 35th anniversary of Tim McDonald's um, leadership at his church, and of course Tim was one that was at the table early on with the concerned black clergy expressing concern, but over that year, he and Pete Correll got to know each other, actually talked to each other, and eventually, as you said, Ariel, they all came together and agreed it was the right path forward. So... um Kevin, one of the
1: things that you and I talked about when we talked about this show was this remarkable pilot program, pilot project that they've now instituted at uh, Grady that could be the model for how the Medicaid waivers unfold in Georgia. But you made a good point during the break, Uh, and Ariel, you weighed in on this, too we talked about waivers a lot on political rewind I'm not sure people really in our listening audience know any more than I necessarily did a (laughs) few months ago exactly what a waiver
0: means
2: (laughs) yeah well Ariel uh, is our expert in the newsroom so uh, I'm I know she can explain it between the folks uh, we have at this table we should be able to explain this right
0: yeah so um, a waiver is a waiver to the Medicaid program Uh, this particular waiver is and so If you just did Medicaid, if you just expanded Medicaid, what you would do is put a Medicaid card in the hand of every poor person. And then the federal government, along with the state government, would agree without a limit to pay for any legitimate medical expense that those people had. And what a waiver is, is when a state, in this case a conservative state, comes along and says, we just don't want to go that far. We don't want to turn on the spigot that way. Um, And so they request, they ask the federal government, we to say, that we want some Medicaid money, and we want to um, have that Medicaid money treat some of our people, but we want you to waive those standard Medicaid requirements. We don't want to do X, or we don't want to do Y. Uh, one waiver uh, uh, proposal, an attempt so far in some other states, is to say, We want you to waive the requirement that we just give out health care for any service to any person um, by imposing a work requirement, saying that you can't get Medicaid if you're not working or engaged in the community somehow. In this case, what the state is going to do is unknown. We don't know. We know that uh, Governor Kemp has, um, has... mentioned only one thing, Grady. Um, and that's, I've been, you know, following him around throughout the legislative session, asking again and again, what you going to do? And, um, <laughs> you know, they're they're he's pretty good at evading the specifics of that question. But the one thing he mentions is Grady. And and I'm not sure that he's saying that's what we're going to do. I think what he's saying is that is an example of something that we could do that makes sense. So, so.
2: Ariel, let me follow up with you, though. Um, and we'll get into the, the Grady thing. But as it as the law was written, as the process works, right? right? The governor right now is accepting applications from consultants. From
0: consultants, that's right.
2: And then those consultants, if they are accepted, yeah. get to propose the idea that they have.
0: And, and there, and there, there are some limits that are built into the law as it was passed. And the biggest one is there is no way that Georgia can legally ask for um full expansion we can only do it for people who are uh, at a lower level of poverty not all the way to the normal expansion it's 100% as opposed to of
2: poverty 138 i guess we can ask the guys from graded do, do we get all that right cuz uh, <laughs> yarrow spends an awful lot of time <laughs> reporting on this stuff and i i never read her stuff and find out that she's made a mistake so i bet you didn't make I one i thought there. you started to say you never read her stuff nice. thank <laughs> god you concluded <laughs> yeah, that sentence Differently. In fact, I In fact I have, it with, I have it with me right here for those of you watching on Facebook. So, but that is correct. Anything that, we need to clarify?
4: No, that's that's all accurate. And uh the. The proposals were due yesterday from the, the consultants to the state, so they should be selecting one in a relatively short order. I had. Now, that, that surprises me.
1: I was under the. I remember when the governor first talked about this, they were talking about a year long process
4: of spending a million dollars, but clearly that didn't happen. It, it looks like the state plans to study study waivers across the country develop a proposal for Georgia and apply for this uh, by January of 20 20- oh, So they're selecting the not, consultant they're selecting right, right they right. the not okay. but
2: just some clarity on the consultant. So what will happen? One consultant will be picked and they will work on several waivers? 6 Or, or will they'll pick they'll pick 6 consultants? No, one consultant, 3 Medicaid waivers. Let's not get into the
1: weeds on that right. I, because I want to. I'm. I, I the number of waivers and all that. Let Let's talk, if we can, about this pilot program, John, that we have. That Ariel is hearing. The governor thinks might be a path forward. What are you doing uh, with a limited, at this point, number of patients who don't have insurance to help them? get uh, get
3: the care they need without uh, putting you into bankruptcy. Sure. And so I'll, I'll kick this off and then hand it over to Matt. But um, several years ago, we began the discussion around the need to um, surround um, the uninsured patients with a more comprehensive care team. Most health care in this country is still very episodic. I have a scratchy throat. I go to the doctor. I go home. Uh, my, my blood pressure's up, I go to the doctor, we get it addressed, I go home. But for folks with multiple chronic illnesses and possibly also mental health issues as well, we determined what we were doing with episodic care just was not gonna work and was leading to people over utilizing the ER. And so we partnered with the Kaiser Foundation and started a pilot of looking at our highest utilizers of the ER and began designing a plan of care around those patients created something called the Chronic Care Center, Chronic Care Clinic, um, but instead of there just being a doctor and a nurse providing care, there's now a uh, a PharmD, a pharmacist, a social worker, a care manager, a behavioral, behavioral health worker, and an entire team that then surrounds that patient to number one address their physical and mental health issues, but number two, help them become educated on the proper way to access the healthcare system and the proper way to manage their illness.
1: Ariel, you did a terrific drill-down piece on this. How did you observe it as you went to do your
0: story on this program? It was fascinating. Um, it was kind of like... Um, you know, I, I knew that I was observing a very small fraction of the patients in Georgia, but it did seem that for this little fraction of patients the program was, um, to use the phrase again, a game changer. It was uh, just extraordinary intensive care for some very, very poor people who, you know, maybe never in their lives had been taught how to be a patient, how to show up, how to take your meds, why to take your meds. And even more than that, um, why showering might be a medical necessity. Wow. And, you know, Grady put in place all kinds of extra stuff that you might call handholding, um, but it has a medical impact.
1: Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is if you go back to what we talked about just a little while ago, this question as to whether the community, when Grady began to develop this public-private partnership, was suspicious that maybe they wouldn't be served. Kevin, this is a program that as it expands, assuming you're going to be able to. It really serves the very community that Grady was uh, had a mission to do for its entire history.
2: Absolutely, and I guess I should say you can read Ariel's story about the patient. Why don't we? Yeah,
1: can we post that Um, on uh, one of our on
2: our social media platforms? Because I do think. uh, it really does capture the story of a particular woman who's yeah. who's yeah. it's just complicated right and and what she would do is come to the emergency room because that's what she what she knew how to do but in the end right we're talking about this the pilot program involving a couple million dollars and was it 250 patients
4: how many total matt yep about 200 or so patients are actively enrolled right now um, the registry is a little bit larger, so as we can, we'd like to, to grow that. You'd like to really grow it, right? I mean, uh, let's talk about that and, and what that would require and what worries you about it, but what you th- why you think it'd be a good idea so the, the the reason this is a premise for a, a waiver proposal and what we've asked the the state and, and the governor's office is to um, is to include what we're doing in whatever waiver they may propose for for the state uh, we'd like to scale this on a much uh, a much broader uh, population up to uh, uh, hopefully at least fifty thousand currently uninsured residents of Fulton and DeKalb county that um, that live below 100% of the federal poverty level and target the highest utilizers and highest cost diagnoses. And we already have a pretty good idea of what those are. Uh, It's it's people with diabetes, uh, with high blood pressure, with HIV, and with mental illness um, living in in the metro Atlanta area. We know that there are are proven ways to deliver care better and more efficiently to get better outcomes um, at a lower cost but what we need is we need the resources that a waiver brings to Georgia. Uh, By giving our patients Medicaid coverage, we'll then have a a means to pay for their care and be able to invest in that care team that John mentioned, um, and then invest in the the supports um, that can get us those outcomes. So the
2: the governor likes this, let me, me, whoever wants to, uh, let me test this with any of you. The governor would like this and probably mentions it because it limit it's a set amount of money right it doesn't just uh and it it avoids this problem i think which really bothers conservative politicians especially is that well if you give everybody you give these people a medicaid card you've expanded care the statistics look right that satisfies a certain political constituency but you're just going to actually have more people doing more of the wrong things with government paying even more to assist them to do it. Absolutely. That would be his point of view. I mean, yeah. we could argue about whether that's true. And in this case, he likes it because you have a set amount of money you would tell him you want.
4: That's right. It's not an open-ended check. Um, and that's that's the concern with traditional Medicaid expansion that, that some have expressed is that it's just an open-ended checkbook. Instead, it's a defined population. Um, we'll know what the cost of care is. And uh, Grady's actually proposed to to partner with the Fulton and DeKalb counties to use their funding to help draw down the federal funds, um, limiting the cost to the state uh, even even further.
0: And am I right that more than just limiting the population, you'll do something really revolutionary and um, politically controversial, which is, am I right, you'll limit the federal contribution no matter what the cost to you are?
4: So that's that's right. Basically, uh, and it, it depends. There's a couple different angles to that. Of One, what matching level we get from the federal government we're flexible on. Uh, we will work with a traditional matching rate. Uh, folks may not know or the listener may not know that Uh, Medicaid is a state and federal partnership, and so the state has to put up a certain amount of funds to get Medicaid dollars back, and there's a traditional rate that we've operated on since 1965, and then there's an enhanced rate under the Affordable Care Act, and we'll operate under either one with this, Um, but also what we are promising uh, or or asserting is that we can provide this care at a lower cost than what we currently do, Um, and, and we're willing to take that risk on. Um, as as part of how the, big a risk is it for you so, so i just give you an, an example um one of the pro- programs that we're modeled after is in cleveland ohio actually metro health um, did a similar pro- uh, a similar program back in 2014 and they actually saw a 28% reduction in cost for the care of that of a defined population and we think we can replicate that um, uh, here so so th- so this is something that we are um, that we want to do. Right.
1: I got to jump in because we got to get to our final break of the show. I want to do one sentence, or not one sentence. That's not fair, John. Uh, do you believe that what you're piloting right now it could be uh, exportable to health facilities, hospitals, health care centers across the state? Is absolutely. it your sense
3: right now that could happen? I absolutely think it can be. Um, it's totally centered around more managed care, managing the care of the patient, as Ariel said, some may even say handholding, but it has such an incredible medical and mental benefit. Um, I think that could be done in any location, regardless of the size of the population.
1: Okay, I do have to get to the break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about some of the really innovative and exciting programs that I mentioned briefly at the beginning of the show that Grady is now involved with that uh, help subsidize uh, some of the costs that they uh, incur dealing with uninsured uh, patients. You're listening to Political Rewind. We'll be right back.
0: On the next Fresh Air. Is there such a thing as happiness in the context of dementia? We'll talk about caring for people with dementia and how the medical system can improve how it treats people with dementia in spite of the lack of medications to effectively slow its progress. My guest will be psychiatrist and bioethicist Tia Powell, author of the new book, Dementia Reimagined. Join us.
2: Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org.
3: Hi, I'm Charles Shapiro. I'm the president of World Affairs Council of Atlanta. We put on programming here in Atlanta at the intersection where technology, politics, business, and the world collide. We underwrite with GPB, number one, because I love it, and secondly, because I think there's a huge overlap between your listeners and people who are interested in the world. I love that GPB opens a window on the world.
0: To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org.
1: We're back on political Rewind. John Halpert, CEO of Grady Hospital, is with us. Matt Hicks, he's the Senior Vice President of Policy and the man with the uh, legal pad. Uh, Ariel Hart, health reporter at... Actually, it's not a legal pad. It's shorter than that. Mar- Ariel Hart, health reporter. And, and you're down at the legislature every session yep. uh, as well for the AJC. And Kevin Riley. Uh, who was here on Tuesdays the editor of the Atlanta Journal Constitution uh, let me if I can start off this part of the show we in the last 10 minutes uh, that we have um, John I told you before that I happen to know dr. Uh, uh, Michael Frankel uh, who came uh, to has been try for years said to Grady I think we could become one of the most innovative and advanced uh, centers in the country for treating stroke patients for a while it was hard for him to get that point across you understood what he wanted to do and now thanks to uh frankel's work but also thanks to bernie marcus absolutely you have now a premier program nationally for
3: treating strokes yeah it's a pretty amazing story that you think eight eight, nine years ago, the program didn't exist at all. Mike Frankel, who is a vascular neurologist, had this vision of building what we call a thrombolytic stroke treatment center, unrivaled by others. And thrombolytic strokes are the ones that are caused by clots, not by vessels that actually bleed. Um, And over time, uh, Bernie Marcus early on was very interested in the research that was being done and the outcomes that could be achieved and so fast forward to today last week we performed our five thousand five thousandth stroke assessment um, and are now the largest thrombolytic stroke treatment center in the world.
1: Um, Matt what does that mean in terms of the budget and offsetting costs?
4: so one of the things it it, it has done is is attracts a, a, the the it, it diversifies our payer mix right um tr- try to say it as, as simply as i can but it it basically means people that can't get this care anywhere else and will come to Grady with insurance and we're able to use uh, the the commercially insured patients and uh, um payments to help support our mission it basically diversifies our our um Ariel, it it makes sense. I mean, again,
1: I said earlier, you know, there was a time when people would never think about wanting to go to Grady Hospital, except if they got shot. That was always the thing. Oh, you got a gunshot. We would get to the Grady emergency room. So uh, this is another kind of example. Now, there are many hospitals who don't have a benefactor like a Bernie Marcus who can give them 20 million plus dollars for this but it is an innovative way to try to again accomplish that mission of serving the uninsured too.
0: Very much so. And I will say every hospital with a leader whose brain is turned on is desperately trying to figure out what can I do that's unique, that will make my paying patients choose the people who have money and time to go where they want to go that will make them choose to come here. And you know, one of the things we haven't talked about when we talk about Payer mix, that's a technical term that basically means, you know, what percentage of your patients have um, uh, no insurance uh, or the golden child commercial insurance or one of the things we haven't talked about is Medicaid and Medicare. Lot better than being uninsured, but it's not as good as having regular insurance. What we think of as regular insurance, it does not pay the bills. The
2: other thing I was going to ask you about, John, is um, the stroke center is one example of this. Mm-hmm. But this was part of some difficult strategic decisions Grady had to make. In other words, there are lucrative. Kind of healthcare practices where competition is intense. And then there are. You know, so talk about that. I mean, how did you sure. decide which things you were going to go after?
3: So um, after this turnaround had begun, uh, one of the things that became evident was that Grady was very much a medical hospital, meaning other than the existing trauma and burn program, it was mainly heavy chronic disease, medical conditions, diabetes, hypertension, COPD. And in the world of reimbursement for services, those are the lower reimbursed services. The higher reimbursed services are surgical related and Grady had not developed much of a surgical um, practice. Um, We began to make significant investments in key surgical areas. Expansion of trauma surgery, orthopedic surgery, um, surgical oncology, urology, ophthalmology, Um, And just in seven and a half years, we've seen the number of surgeries increase from 9,000 a year to this year will be around 15,000. That's been a game changer as far as, even with Medicare and Medicaid, the rate per patient paid compared to the cost, which has also improved our profitability. So that was a key part of the strategy that needed to be addressed. So we've seen tremendous growth across the board, but in particular in those surgical specialties.
4: And if, if I can add on the stroke successes that we've had at Grady, not only does it help people that come to to Grady for stroke care, but we've pioneered research over the last decade that has actually established the global standards for stroke care. Um, one example is the is the administration of TPA, which is a clot busting drug that you want to receive as soon as possible after the onset of the symptoms of a of a stroke used to, uh, before some of the research we have just completed, you could only administer that within a four-hour window. Um, Our physicians believe that the brain was still alive and had a potential to recover uh, over a a longer period of time, and they had what they called the Dawn Trials. And now, within about a 24-hour period, you can still receive uh, TPA and see some success and benefits out of that, and that's research that's coming out of Grady. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> amazing! amazing. <Yeah. laughs>
1: it's truly amazing. Uh, we're pretty much out of time, John. One last question for you: uh, You oversee an enormous uh, operation. How many people work for Grady Hospital? what What is your annual budget beyond what you get from the county and government? Uh, just just give
3: people an idea of the scope of what you oversee. So Grady employs around 7,500 people, and our expense budget year is about 1.2 billion dollars a year. So it is a very big operation and, and of course we have a network of outlying neighborhood health centers and clinics as yeah. well and that's all part of the equation. So um, alright, I, I this has been for me, we've gotten some great responses
1: on Twitter and on our Facebook uh, page, uh, one of our frequent followers on, on Twitter said, uh, I like these uh, shows, where, these wonky shows where people talk about issues more than the punditry. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, wonks, for <laughs> you <are so> <laughs> being here that has been today. welcome. as a compliment, oh, right? it yeah. is a compliment. I'm perfectly fine with that. And they're not talking about me anyway. They're talking about all of you. Um, thank you so much for being here for this uh, conversation. Uh, today, uh, Matt Hicks and John Halpert and Ariel Hart. Come back and talk to us about healthcare care uh, as, as you cover your beat in the, in the time ahead, the months and years ahead. The last thing I'll say about Grady, Kevin Riley, is, you know, you know this. Journalists a lot of times say, oh, man, if you really want to see something spectacular, and I know Ariel's done it, you need to go get, you know, them to let you uh, cover the emergency room on a Saturday night because they do such remarkable work. I get that. But as I told John and Matt before the show went on the air, when I think of wanting to go to Grady, I remember the days that I used to go down, haven't done it lately, and sat with the incredible infants in their neonatal care unit. These tiny little babies who they are trying to make sure uh, stay alive and have full lives ahead that is something to see at grady that tells you the best about what we have in atlanta so thank you all for the show today um we'll see you all back here tomorrow we're going to go back to you know talking like politics on political rewind see you (laughs) too great cool